says, get that India, big boy. Hello and welcome back to another edition of the Tip Sheet Podcast. As always, I'm your host, John, also known as 4020. Joining me to talk all things Parramatta Reels is my good mate, 60s. Plenty to talk about as we head into round two of the NRL, mate, but how are you holding up first? Mate, how busy is it with these matches that happen earlier in the week, be it a Thursday or a, a 6pm Friday night? It feels like the week is so crammed trying to get everything done that we need to get done for the Cumberland throw. Oh, yeah. Yeah, it is a... Massive, you don't want to say rush job, but geez, like you said, you're cramming so much into so little time. Yeah, and uh, we've already been doing that this week. We've got today's podcast going out. We've got the live appearance at Parramatta Leagues Club. And, and let's just point it out right now. We're in Jack's Bar and Grill after the game tomorrow. And and special guest, Graham Atkins. The try, the grand final try scoring winger from 1981's grand final. Our guest after the game, breaking down what happens in the match. So make sure you get out to Para Leagues, the home of the Eels, Jack's Bar and Grill. We kick off about half an hour to 40 minutes after full time on Friday night and uh, look forward to seeing you there. And for those that want to have a listen from home, we're going to uh, look to have uh, technical difficulties aside. We're hoping it's all okay. A live stream YouTube of the uh, post-match in Jacks. Yes, sir. And part of the reason we're so busy, 60s, is that yesterday we were at Eels HQ catching up with the latest from Nathan Brown. So let's get right into it. The uh, Junior Reps program, John has got to just past the halfway point, so we're going to check in with the Elite Pathways Coaching Director, Nathan Brown. Nathan, thanks for joining us. No worries, fellas. As I just said, we've just gone past the halfway point. You've got all three teams sitting in and around the top four, the Tasha Gale girls sitting equal fourth, the, the two boys teams sitting in in uh, the top four. What have you learned about the Junior Rep teams to this point? Oh, look, it's um, very different, I suppose, from a point of view. You're working with players. Uh, I'm used to working with, so I suppose, players that are a bit more, more physically developed, I suppose, and been through, uh, I suppose, a number of years of sometimes numbers of programs. So you're dealing with a lot of young kids that have, at this stage, have only spent some time at Parramatta and physically they're, they're still only at the start of their journey. Um, and you realise that you certainly can't, um, whilst you challenge them a bit, the cages challenge them, you certainly can't expect, the, I suppose, the same level of consistency. Uh, and with the girls' game, I didn't really watch the girls' game, to be honest with you, until this year, and it's actually really enjoyable to watch because it sort of reminds me a lot of, I suppose, the way the game was played in the 90s, the really. The yeah. purer yeah. brand of football. Yeah, yeah, yeah. so it's actually, it's actually been really uh, quite enjoyable. And I didn't know that I'd enjoy it as much as I did, to be honest, but it's been, that's been enjoyable watching the Tasha Gale and the girls there have... Yeah, they've had some real setbacks with injuries in the staff and the girls have done a great job. Yeah, absolutely. It's um you don't see as much wrestle in the in the girls game and there's a real enjoyment yeah, about how they play as there's well. There's a lot more two in the tackle, a lot more collisions where people yes. come out of them and yeah, it's yeah. yeah, it's just it's a very different game and very enjoyable to watch. Yeah. For you, Brownie, does your role or focus change during the rep season, be it performance analysis as a coaching resource or monitoring individual development? Is there anything different in and out of seasons for you? Oh, look, at the moment, you know, I'm spending, you know, with the Mats Cup guys, you know, you have a little bit of, I suppose, less time. So I sort of more concentrate on 
I suppose, smaller group videos, like positional sort of videos with sort of smaller groups. And, you know, I try to chip in a little bit and help out with the team review and have a chat to the coach. And with the SG ball, I do probably a fair bit more individual videos there than I do uh, group video and try and look a bit more of the individual development. And, um, again, throw me two bobs in with the coach every now and then to see if I can chip in a bit of advice. And looking, we, we talked just a bit about the Tasha Gull team before, um, but after a first-round loss, they've gone undefeated in the last month. Um, and we mentioned the injuries, and one of those was to the halfback, to Lara Bamblett. Uh, what's pleased you most about their season so far? Oh, the most pleasing thing, I think, with the Tasha Gale is, is the fight and commitment they show. Um, you know, in the game they played, obviously, a very good Roosters team round one, and and they had no possession the first half, and they fought really, really hard to stay in that contest, which was a great effort because the Roosters are obviously uh, quite a reasonable team. They're one of the gun teams, yeah, yeah. and they hung in that contest really well. It obviously showed later in the game, but the the courage they showed has continued on, and you know they've had some terrific wins, and uh, they obviously had a, a wonderful sort of last-minute draw. But again, I just think the way they fight and, and compete... And, and hanging the contest has been a real pleasing thing for the for the Tasha Gale. Well, you mentioned that last minute draw, and in a way, it's sort of it's paralleling their season last year. First up, lost the Indigenous Roosters Academy, but then they start finding their uh, rhythm. But going to that game with the last second try and conversion against the Steelers, Vave scoring the all important try there. But then in comes Alicia Bell to tack on the critical extra points and take that game to a tight outcome. Just how important is it for any team? But especially the Tasha Gale to have such a consistent sharpshooter like Alicia Bell banking all those conversions. I watched young Alicia kick in the preseason, and we're down at uh, Paramaris, and there was a pretty reasonably strong wind blowing, and I'd never seen a kick before, and I didn't know her. And she's lined up a kick from the like you're facing the state left sideline, so on her best yeah. side, and she lined up. There was a real strong wind blowing, and, and I was behind the pace, and she's ready to take a kick, and I thought. I'm thinking she's wasting time. She's going to finish yeah. 15 minutes no. short. Yeah, she she, she strikes him clean. She kicked three in a row, and yeah. I thought, holy shit! Like, yeah. and then I heard about a background from soccer. That's and right. How Back, well she was. And then yeah. where she had the shot from goal after the after the bell against the Steelers was pretty much a carbon copy of the shots that I watched her to kick three in a row. So when you're watching her kick at train and then you watch her kick in the game, you just sort of think this she, girl's going to kick it. She might be the best pure striker of the football off the kick. She's a wonderful I've, I've kicker. Seen. Yeah, she is. Very, very good. Uh, turning now to the Harold Mats, they've also gone undefeated since that first round loss. Have you seen them develop as a team since that first round? Um, probably a, a little bit similar to Tasha Gale. They've, they've had their share of, you know, the coaches had his challenges with people in and out of the team and lost some blokes longer term. So they've, they've had their uh, they've had their struggles with getting the same sort of people on the field. They've had a fair change and reasonably consistently, but. Um, again, their sheer, their fight and desire has been a real highlight. Um, you know, they're not the they're certainly not the the biggest Mats Cup team. They always generally most weeks they play. They're generally, you know, on the on the smaller side. They're not the biggest, but as far as the way they fight and compete for each other, that's been a real highlight. Um, I'd, I'd like to see them uh, play a little smarter. If I'm being honest, yeah, yeah they've. Uh, Made the game a little bit harder for themselves, even though they are younger, younger players, and they are you know sixteen, seventeen, and starting their journey out. I would like to think that in the over the next sort of three or four weeks, I'd like to think they could help themselves make the game a touch easier with the, what they do when they got the ball a touch. But 
as a whole, you know, they lost the, the first game by a try to the Roosters where, you know, you could argue that could have went their way when against them. But apart from that, they've again, they've fought really, really hard. And, you know, the game on the weekend probably was probably, um, I suppose, the best they've probably attacked so far against one of the, the better sides. And, you know, the Raiders run beaten going down there. And, again, their, their ability to repel... Uh, the Raiders from the try line mm. consistently in the second half. It was like, you know, that's what you relate to the Melbourne Storm in first yeah. grade or the Roosters mm. over the last 20 years. Like, I'm not sure what the tackle count was, but they must have they must have done 40 or 50 tackles inside their 20 and only leaked one try against a side that was four from four and playing some terrific footy. So, yeah, again, their, their, their fight and desire for each other has been the real highlight. I'd just like to see them yeah, grow a little bit in making the game a little easier for themselves. But they're yeah, really happy with, really happy with uh, what the coaches are doing there. They've definitely got plenty of buying and plenty of, uh, and plenty of uh, I suppose, there's a lot of happiness there. Yeah. You mentioned that the Mats have been battling through some injuries, which sort of brings us to this week where they've got the buy, they've got the week off. Is that good timing for us? Do you like that in terms of the healing factor or is it also a bit of a catch-22 where you've lost momentum because of the buy or you potentially lose momentum? I, I think it's great for the young fellas. Um, you know, like a lot of the, the kids, you know, they've got school footy as well. So apart from having their few bumps and bruises, they've got a great, fair group of kids playing school footy this week and they've had a few play the week before. So I think you know, a buy for these younger kids is probably a really good thing. You know, so they'll still play some footy, some of them, this week. But come the weekend, they'll be... Mm-hmm. I'll be free from footy and hopefully get a little freshen up because every game they play, they leave a lot on the field this side. So a week off for them, I think, is a real, 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 great, real great bonus from this time of year. The SG Ball suffered their first defeat this week. They played the Raiders who were also undefeated, but it was a heavy loss. Can we take anything out of that game? Yeah, I think there's a lot of... Uh, there's a one or two real key learnings for the, 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 the boys there because obviously there's a... There's a few players there in the ball that have got a, you know, their talents reasonably high. You know, obviously young Ethan Sanders is obviously a player of talent in a key position. Young Appa Tweedle has come down um, from uh, Queensland. Credit to the recruitment staff, they look like they've, they've certainly found a bloke who understands rugby league. Yeah. You know, so you've got a couple of blokes in key positions there who have huge try involvements. Um, and, you uh, there's other players there that are obviously contributing and they've got some good, you know, they've got a, a reasonable squad there playing some decent footy. Um, probably the thing from is, is I suppose in the, you know, over the course of a few of their wins, they've sort of probably played against the Tigers, they were pretty average in the first half and they put the foot down and did well. You know, against uh, North Sydney, they had a reasonable start, had an average period, then put the foot down. And you know, with what they've got on the field and you know, having the ability to create some a fair number of points through some talented players, you know, young Matty Arthur at nine's created a fair fair number of tries. Yeah, you know, so they've got blokes in key positions who have been able to create create a fair bit of opportunity for them. Um, but they've probably just um, they paid the price on the weekend, I believe, for probably not putting two pretty solid halves of footy together in the first half the other day. It was a pretty high standard game of footy. It's the best standard I've seen so far since being back involved at this level. It was easily the best quality of football I've seen from two teams. And you know, credit to the Raiders, they're easily the best team I've seen so far and uh, very well coached. And to me, look like there's you know, four or five, six kids there that look like they're going to be first grade players for the Raiders going forward or, or somebody else if they're not at the Raiders. So they're a very good team. So I think the lesson for the for the boys is... 
is you know being able to probably play a little better for a little longer uh and you know the way they prepare and train you know some of them can probably get a little bit more consistency in their training because as i said they've been winning some games and scoring plenty of the points on the back of some hard work and talent but there's probably a few things that they can you know the one or two key things is that a little bit more consistent a bit longer and you know if you prepare a certain way sometimes you can get yourself caught out yeah i thought we were um, in that first half, I thought we'd done very well to be even in front, heading towards the end of the first half. Such was, you know, how well the Raiders were playing. So and then it, Stewart jumps out of dummy it, half. It was yeah. a good stand. That like, I enjoyed watching that game. From a, if you took took the fact I'm working with Parramatta out of it, yeah. I'd have been happy to sit there and watch that that first half and the early second half was it was a good game of footy to watch. And then when we sort of had that little period where we didn't play as well, which we've had plenty of those this year the opposition were of high quality and they made us pay, you know. So yeah. if, if the boys can just tidy up that little bit, you know, they've had a... Again, if the start of the year we all sat here when we did and we said that the Mats Cup, the Ball and Tasha Gala are all going to get through five weeks and they've lost one game each, I reckon everyone in the Rugby League Club would have taken that. Yeah. And now it's now it's where can both sides get a little better, you know. Mats Cup, can they get a little bit smarter? And the, and the Ball, just that little bit more consistency for a bit longer, you know. Both sides can get a little bit out of... First five weeks, we you know we'd like to think that over the next three or four weeks they can they can win their share of games again and, and have a shout at the end of the year. Yep. So finally, we turn our eyes towards this weekend. We know that Harold Matthews are on the bye, but the Tasha Gale and SG Ball are in action. They play a home game at Cabramatta, New Euro Stadium. They're joined there by the Jersey Flag this week, who play part of that uh, free game battery. We know on an annual basis that we can expect SG Ball players to be elevated to the flag squad once the rep season wraps up and um, the players that sort of been in might go up there. Is that mostly mapped out as far as who it is that will be going up there or is that still a working process, an evolving process where players can prove themselves across the next sort of month of football? Um, I think there's a couple of ways you look at it. There's obviously, um, there's numbers of players that I think that train with the first grade team that I think everyone would expect. They yeah. would expect, the, you know, the head coach, the pathways people, everyone would expect there's some that you're thinking they're pretty much definitely going to go up. And then there's going to be an element of blokes who force their way into going up through the way they play. And then there's an element of players who may have had a good year, but physically they may need to take a different path. And, you know, doing weights and just getting themselves physically ready might be the best thing for those people. So, you know, there can be some players that play well enough to go up, but physically they need to be looked at and treated differently to, say, Sam Tudavati, for example. You know, we'd all expect Sam to go up there and, physically be capable of doing a pretty reasonable job. Ethan Sanders has already played up there and yeah. yep. done a reasonable job. You know, so those blokes you know can out there where there's other players who I would have thought, you know, sure they might be showing some decent signs, but before they play flag they probably need to need to get their body in better shape. Yeah, well, uh, Nathan, thank you very much for getting us up to date with where we're at at the moment. Uh, we'll check in with you again before the season's out. But uh, exciting times to look forward to for the uh, junior rep teams as they're heading into that run into the finals. Cheers, fellas. Thank you, And, of course, our thanks go to Nathan Brown for being so gracious with his time with us. 60. It's always a pleasure to chat football with him. Uh, he's a good mind, isn't he? Uh, absolutely, mate. It's And, you know, it's it's good to get that inside perspective on how teams or individual players are travelling. So we're really appreciative of his time, as you said. All right, keep the show moving on. Let's get into the NRL news. News team, assemble!
All in all, it must be said, it's a pretty quiet news week on the Parramatta front 60s. Got some injury updates from the club as part of their team list Tuesday releases. Nothing earth-shattering there, though. Sean Lane, Jaw, Dejan Arcee, Knee and Nathan Brown hamstring remain unavailable. Not given any official timelines, but we do know Lane was a six to seven week prognosis on his return from that uh, surgery that he had on the jaw injury. Dejan Arcee, well, we're not really sure. We saw him in the moon boot at the season launch, so hopefully he'll be back in the coming weeks. And Brown, well, hamstrings can be tricky propositions, and that's probably just a week-to-week sort of deal until he's back and comfortable to run. But yeah, nothing earth-shattering there, pretty much what we expected. Yeah, and it was good to see uh, last night at Eels training. So uh, you mentioned we were there with Nathan Brown. I went back out to Kellyville later in the evening, caught a bit of it, uh, caught the Eels training with the NRL. Um, and uh, Sean Lane was down there uh, watching from the sidelines. Um, I'm not sure exactly what sort of work he was doing earlier with in relation to his rehab. What we do know about jaw injuries, and we saw that with uh, Bryce Cartwright, with him injuring his jaw during the preseason, is once they've got things settled with the jaw, especially when they've had an operation, uh, whether it be they put plates and screws in or they wire the jaw, whatever is required for the uh, operation, they pretty much start to get straight back into doing some sort of physical activity. Mm -hmm. Uh, Cardi was running pretty much, I think from memory, it might have been a couple of weeks where he wasn't involved in that, but then uh, straight into running, keeping uh, the, the conditioning up as much as possible. And then we literally saw as soon as he was right to, to go, he was straight back into the NRL team. Don't know what's going to happen with Laney, but uh, it was good to see him there on the sidelines, watching the, watching the training. I don't know. <laughs> Don't know what his speaking voice is like with the whatever's happened with the uh, <laughs> operation on his jaw. Um, don't know whether he's going to be. You know, you you don't know whether some of these blokes, what their eating situation is, whether they're just on. I mean, obviously they're going to be on liquids, that sort of thing. But um, yeah, I wonder whether it's going to be a case of him uh, dropping any kilos. We do know that uh, during the off-season, he doesn't mind a buffet on holidays, um, uh, but he's he might do well to retain his playing weight, I think, over no, that, that. And that, that's that. a yeah, legitimate issue, isn't it, when you're on a restricted diet in terms of fluid intake, it's hard just to have that much coming into you, and obviously you can do protein shakes and whatnot, but it's not going to be easy for him, especially when you're that tall, and you've got to try and maintain that sort of height-to-weight ratio. Yeah. One of the interesting things, though, uh, from watching training last night was just seeing what a, a big human Bryce Cartwright is as well. Uh, you know, they in in replacing Sean Lane on that edge with Cartwright, obviously they bring different qualities, but they've still maintained a big body. He's not obviously not quite as tall as Sean Lane, but he, he is still a big human being. So... Uh, it's. I think we're lucky that we have experience that we can bring in uh, in in the form of Bryce Cartwright for Sean Lane. And while there's nothing new on the Mitchell Moses front, 60s, he did have a bit of a stoush with the media who kept harassing him about when he's going to re-sign. I had a chuckle at that. Uh, it has been a busy week or so for the Sydney Roosters and the, well, not the Red Quiff, but the Dolphins. Uh, for the Dolphins, they pick up Herbie Farnworth and Thomas Flegler. 
both from the Broncos, while the Tricolors, well, they've added a pretty handy prop in Spencer Lenu, and they've had Joseph Swali'i re-sign on what must be said is a shockingly low-value deal considering what was apparently on offer from other top-tier clubs. Uh, I think he re-signed in the vicinity of $750,000 a season across three or four years with the, or reportedly the Rabbitohs offering pretty comfortably well over that. So uh, some efficient bookkeeping going on in the eastern suburbs. Well, we know that that players will pay will play for less money to play at the Roosters. It's uh, documented by the Roosters. But when they're when they're players from, well, obviously he's from the club there. When players like Spencer Lenny are coming out and saying that it's about going to the best club in the competition, when he's going from the back to back reigning premiers, <laughs> um, yeah. It, it, sometimes you just want players to be a little bit more uh, forwards in how you know how they want to present it. Like, yes, the Roosters are a good club. You're not going to be, you know unaspirational about not making the finals uh, when you go to the Roosters. You're going to be in the hunt, but come on. Penrith Panthers uh, have been the pinnacle of the competition for three years now. <laughs> You're going there for the uh, uh, for the dollars. You know what? I just think if when we have the situations where players can sign about a year in advance, a season in advance with another club, keep your trap shut about the next club you're going to. Uh, if you're asked, I, I get that journos are going to ask them questions, that there's a story in it. But I think the standard answer should be, look, I've got a year to run at my current club. My entire focus is on that. If you have any questions you want to ask me about the roosters or the dogs or whoever it is that they're, they're questioning them about, it, you just say, ask me at the end of the season mm-hmm. when I'm when my focus then becomes my new club. Until then, uh, I don't mean to be rude, but I'm not going to answer questions about where my future is. I'm going to answer questions about where I currently am. And I reckon if, you, if, if players just do that, then you don't have supporters in uproar. You don't have headlines around that sort of, the sort of stuff that he said. I mean, with what he said, that could be, you know, a, a bit of fodder for the, uh, the next time the teams meet, right? Build that up. It shouldn't, you know, as much as I dislike the Panthers intensely, intensely, that doesn't stop me from thinking their players done the wrong thing here by them. Yeah. And, and you know what? To be fair as well, Reed Marnie was answering questions about the Bulldogs and about their roster that they were assembling and that sort of thing last year when he was with us. And that, and that as rubbed a supporter, the wrong way too, didn't it? Yeah. As a supporter, mm-hmm. mate, I, I I was I was fuming with that. It's like as I said, mate, don't you're not there to answer questions about your future club now. You you're being paid by the Eels. And in Spencer Lenu's case, he's being paid by the Panthers. Whoever you're being paid by, just focus on them. Not not just in how you play, but in also your talk. So, anyway, that's just a bugbear of mine, mate. Just wanted to get that off my chest. <laughs> no, I think that's more than fair, and I think there'll be plenty of supporters for that point of view, like you said, especially when you've got two teams in the Eels and Panthers, and obviously the Panthers being back-to-back premiers, but the Eels being the grand final last year. These are two teams that are right in the thick of the hunt for the premiership. You want your players yeah. locked in and focused 100% on competing week-to-week and into the finals. And when you start fielding questions and thinking about what's happening next year, you know, sometimes it can lead to a line of thought of how committed a player is. 
uh, in yeah. that sort of uh, vein. Anyway, let's move on. There's not too much NRL news to talk on outside of that. We did get a, a minor mea culpa from the NRL 60s, Graham Annesley, admitting that the referees got it desperately wrong when it came to the Parramatta Eels challenge late in the piece against the Melbourne Storm. Uh, I believe it was Josh Hodgson and Nelson Asofa-Solomona, pardon, uh, involved in that particular incident, incident where uh, Naz did not get to his feet to play the ball and then was uh, then to have ruled to have Hodgson coming back through the ruck and then Annesley confirming that the challenge should have been upheld and it shouldn't have even been a challenge in the first place in that uh, Klein missed the initial call against the Storm. I mean, it's much ado now, but obviously apparently at that point in the game would have been pretty critical, which I oh. believe... I believe, it, 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 if I'm not mistaken, would that have been a penalty for an incorrect play ball or would it have been a turnover? Yeah, uh, good question. But regardless, you're talking about the Storm in that instance got the penalty, were able to advance downfield, and I think from memory had their first shot at a field goal right. in, the, in the match. Now, I know that we missed an opportunity earlier to ice a field goal attempt, but regardless of whether there was a penalty forthcoming or a change of, of possession, you're still talking about the Eels are then got a set of six On in halfway. Melbourne's half. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So we're in Melbourne's half. Those sorts of things are game-changing decisions. Now, we don't back away from the fact that Parramatta have to look in the mirror for the reason why the game was lost. But by the same token, it, you cannot ignore major refereeing blunders like that. Now, Klein did not have a great game outside of that because as we spoke about post-match, the difference in the play the ball speed was uh, the Eels' average play the ball speed was four seconds compared to the Storm's three seconds. Now, let's just extrapolate that a bit. Average play the ball speed. Now, that means that there were play the balls that, that I know during the match were like five and six seconds long where there was no action that happened. And it was just, and you remember what it was like out there, mate. The crowd was baying, absolutely baying for some action for all of the interference in the play of the ball. And it wasn't just on the ground. It was the the slowing up of the play of the ball when the players are standing. You know, Munster was doing this incredible job of tangling his arms and the mm. and the Parramatta players' arms, and oh look, what and do you know? Was, I'm stuck. I of, can't get out of it. A lot know? of cautions and warnings in terms of you know commentating from the referee, but no backup uh, to the panelism. No. Yeah. no, no, and that's the thing. If you are the Storm, and we know what their tactics are. I mean, even in that that play the ball penalty against Hodgson, the ball is planted to the side of the ruck which is a classic storm ploy. Yeah, to and, get the markers, or perceivably get the markers offside uh, or not straight in the referee's books. Yeah, there's there's so many advantages if you're allowed to get away with that, which is that, as you say, you've got the, you've got the markers suddenly not square or you've got the attack able to launch from a spot where the markers aren't in as an efficient position. Uh, you've got them maybe being able to get a quicker play of the ball because they're not having to get up in amongst the the uh, the marker or the tacklers. They're actually getting up to the side of them. It's, yeah, it's, and, and of course, then you have, when the player is, when the, the tackler is trying to take their natural course back to the marker position, all of a sudden they've got a ball there. So if they notice that the ball's there, they've then got to take a step again out to the side to get back into position 
or if they come back without because they're not necessarily looking at the ground as they're going back they come back through it they're going to kick the ball and give away a penalty it's you would think that with all the research that the referees get to do as to what is happening with games and particular teams and we know that they do that sort of research and what to look for and then there's the communication that goes on through the game uh, with the referees and the and the touch judges and the and the video ref it's constant communication about what to look for how they're doing that sort of thing uh, they work as a team you just think that sort of stuff would be picked up so mate as you said it's now it it's it doesn't help in, in any way now it's 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 fish and chip wrapper yeah stuff where where they've admitted that they've made a mistake but it's one thing for Klein to make the mistake but, but how does the bunker yeah when it's referred how does the to the bunker, bunker miss that but it, it oftentimes feels like the bunker is backing the main referee in these calls and they will just immediately default to what the referee called uh, yeah. I mean, uh, this is me being purely anecdotal here. I'm not bringing it, uh, you know, hard evidence to the table, but it certainly feels like they're, you know, like I said, backing the main whistleblower here, and will not overturn the call more often than not. Whereas that was well, I don't much- think I don't think you're on your own in that because again, anecdotally, just in in responses to the Cumberland throws posts in messages that I've received in people that I've spoken to, they're saying similar to you, mate, that it seems like the bunker is making a real effort to back the referee's decision as much as possible, overturning uh, fewer this year. That, but that, again, that might not be proven to be statistically true. But it just has that feel about it, as you said. So you, anecdotally, you feel as if you're doing it, as if that's the case, just from watching the game. Um, I don't. I imagine there's there's stats that are kept for overturned uh, decisions. Someone has to be tracking it for sure. Yeah, yeah. I'm, I'm sure, at the very least, the NRL. Uh, would have would be metrics at their referees themselves. Yeah, it'd give be it'd be giving them some sort of statistics about how well they are performing on field, how often the it's called on, whether the, um, and and I would imagine there must be some stat that they're keeping where in their review that Annesley was talking about where they got it wrong that they track how often they get it wrong because I'm sure they come out with some sort of figures to say, you know, we get it right 95% of the time or whatever the case may be. But anyway, they didn't in this one. We don't blame, we don't blame them for the loss, but damn, it was an influential officiating performance on the night. Yes, indeed. All right, let's get the show rocking and rolling. Let's move on into the preview section of the podcast sixties, starting with the junior representative, junior representative, sorry, as always, we know the Harold Matthews have got to buy as per that chat with Nathan Brown earlier in the show, which means Natasha Gale and SG Ball will be working with the Jersey Fleg out at New Era Stadium, Cabramatta on Saturday. Kickoff is, or the first kickoff rather, is with the Natasha Gale Cup, 10 o'clock a.m., hosting the Cronulla Sharks. Actually, can I step in there? The first kickoff is actually 8 a.m. 8 a.m. with the Lisa Fiola Cup out at Cabramatta. So 
just for just to update people on the Lisa Fiola Cup, it is basically the pathway to the Tasha Gale Cup. It's the 17-year-old girls' pathways. I so guess we could Harold call Matthews it a, equivalent, right? It, it is. It is, but they don't play a full season as such. Mm. Now, in the past, the Lisa Fiola Cup, when they've been able to play it, has been like a bit of a gala day. So they'd have their squad of uh, under-17 players and then the teams that participate on the day, uh, they go and they play shortened games and they don't play a final as such, but they, I, I guess the teams themselves track how they perform. And it just is that it, the experience of being part of that elite pathways team environment, the, the coaching that they get during that period of time. And as you say, like that's that lead up for them, getting prepared for the Tasha Gale competition. Um, I guess as much as I'd maybe equate it to the development squads that the Eels have leading into the Harold Matthews competition, with the exception that there is no equivalent to the Harold Matthews in the girls' pathways. They, they have Tasha Gale Cup is the equivalent to the SG Ball. And uh, this is like a develop the Lisa Fiola Cup's like a development squad getting ready for the uh, SG uh, for the Tasha Gale. So they're playing. They've got an eight o'clock kickoff. They are playing just like the uh, the SG Ball and the Tasha Gale are playing the Sharks. They too are playing the Sharks. Now they have four weeks that they will be playing matches on the same day i think the same venue as the junior reps so in order they play the sharks this week manly next week the panthers the week after and then they finish up with the bulldogs so four weeks of matches they don't have as i understand it they don't have finals mm-hmm. uh, i met their coach justin newman last night up at eels training and he is really really excited about the uh, the prospects that are in the uh, the team that he's coaching at the moment there'll be a number of them who advance to being part of the extended Tasha Gale Cup team at the end of this year when they go into their preseason it's but i think for the most part a lot of the girls are probably two years away from the uh, being part of the SG, of the Tasha Gale team. But anyway, for anyone who's heading to Cabramatta this week, get out there early. For everyone else, oh, I'm going to be out there early covering it for as, as best I can with the, I'm, I'm no, I'm not anything like 40 for people who are, who follow the blogs. I, I can't, I can't multitask as well as my co-host here can multitask. And I'm probably a two-finger typist on the iPad uh, as opposed to 40 with his touch typing on the laptop. But I'll do my best to keep you updated with what's happening out at uh, Cabramatta this week with uh, match match description as best as I can do it and certainly a scoring play description where uh, which is probably what most of my live blogs are 
And so following on from the 17s is the Tasha Gale at 10 o'clock a.m. So it's a very early start for you, 60s, going from that 8 o'clock kickoff to the 10 o'clock kickoff there. It's going to be a busy day. Uh, but yeah, girls backing up from that successful trip to Belconnen in the state's capital, or nation's capital rather, not state's capital, what am I saying? Uh, Debbie Dwahi, co-captains at fullback. She's been in sensational touch, 60s. She's been very, very strong, whether it's at halfback or back in her more preferred position of fullback. On the wings, we've got Vave and Haley Bell. In the centres, Alicia Bell and Lindsay Tui. Charlotte Cawthorn partners Talara Bamblett, who made a strong return from her shoulder injury, I believe it was, against the Raiders. Layla Dimmick and Khaleesi Mahe pack in the front row alongside co-captain Ashley Pottinger at dummy half. Then you've got uh, Layla Black, Bella Sanford and Kiana Lakenny at lock forward and in the back row, respectively. Kanye Marumulu, Casey Q, Mele Akawala Lalu and Sarah Polo Ali are on the bench. Caitlin Pearden and Aliyah Ganoom are the reserves. And they're taking on a Cronulla team. If I just quickly pull up the New South Wales Rugby League ladder, if you pardon me. One moment. To the Taja Girl Cup here. Uh, Eels enter this round in fifth, taking on the eighth place Sharks. Eels do have a two-win buffer on the Sharks as it stands, but given how congested things are around that sort of, if I look at it, yeah, even up to second place down to probably eighth. Uh, you know, that battle for top six spots, it's really starting to reach a zenith and you don't want to be dropping games now. No, this match is the classical four-point match because the Eels have a bye next week. So if the Eels can pick up the two points for the win and they've got the guaranteed two points next week, that sort of buffer that you're talking about becomes even greater. And the Eels can go a long way towards consolidating probably a top four place because after the bye, there's only two matches left in the competition. So if they can establish some sort of buffer between themselves and the teams below them, they go close to guaranteeing a final spot. But just as importantly, they they edge their way up higher into the top four they're probably not going to be able to catch the top two teams because the Roosters and the Bulldogs have been the standouts in this competition. We saw it in the trials with the Bulldogs, who played some of the best football at Tashigar level that I can remember seeing. And, and, you know, we'd spoke about, even though it was a trial match, there was just the type of uh, interplay between the forwards, the, the way that the the cohesion that existed out there on the field, the power that they ran the ball with, the communication that was out there. It was some of the best football I've seen. Mm-hmm. And, uh, and of course, the Roosters Indigenous Academy, well, an upset there in terms of their – they've just been the mainstays up near yeah. the top of the competition for years. They've been so and, good for so many years now. Oh, and, and the, the type of football that they play, it's just such – bright attacking football it's a pleasure to watch them as a team what what was exciting last year was we could see that there was a bit of a a bridging of the gap between ourselves and the roosters last year we finished second to them on the ladder unfortunately we didn't get through the qualifying final and we all know the circumstances of that uh, the last minute loss to the knights but you know they they just seem to find players every season the 
the Roosters Tasha Gale team. So um, anyway, as I said, important week this week, four point game effectively with the bye. So, uh, look, I, mate, I don't know about you, but looking at how they're playing, you can see the development in them as a team every week. It, it, it's, the trials... it's shades of last year, really, too, isn't it? You drop, yes. a, you drop a tough game round one against the benchmark team in the competition in the Indigenous Academy Roosters. And obviously this year we had a draw instead of a win uh, following that up a couple of weeks later. But you can just see that week-to-week build as they start to get that self-belief and those combinations start to gel. Uh, the forward pack's going from strength to strength, and then you've got uh, core players uh, like Bamboot now that she's back, but Dwahi, Alicia Bell, uh, they're all really chiming in beautifully across the back line. Yeah, I gave Alicia Bell a bit of a mention in the Bumpers Up column this week mm-hmm. for a goal-kicking. It is, and I'm hoping that I don't put the put the absolute mockers on her. Yeah. yeah, yeah, and I mean, you saw in the chat with Brownie, she's one of the purest strikers of the, if not the most pure striker of a footy that I've seen in the the women's side of the the game. She hits yeah. the ball so sweetly, mate. She like you almost think that in terms of kicking, she could be in an NRLW team and be an asset. Yeah. As a, as a goal a, kicker. If she was a neutral player in attack and defense in terms of contribution, but brought that goal kicking, you'd almost be a, a must pick every week because turning most of your tries into six pointers instead of four pointers is such a huge advantage. So, yeah. yeah. What, what a feather having your cap as for both Alicia and for the club. Yeah. And, and I think as, as a player, the more that she starts to believe in herself and, and what she can do because we've seen some massive defensive plays that she's come up with uh, filling in at fullback, but even out on the wing. So, uh, and, and she's been, uh, she's had a bit of time in the centers now as well. Uh, yeah. I think the more that she has experience in rugby league, she has a bit of a background in soccer, uh, I believe, but um, yeah, the more experience that she gets, the, the better her, the better prospects her future is going mm-hmm. to be. But as a kicker now, and we're talking about as a kicker, she's up in the elite category in rugby league, not not just at the Tasha Gale level, because I think at Tasha Gale level, I can't think of any opponent. She hasn't got a contemporary here. That, that compare. Mm-hmm. Um, so, and that, We've spoke about that goal that she kicked against the Steelers to draw the match and Steal the circumstances the of that. Yeah. Uh, it was that was a phenomenal kick. So, um, and hopefully, people have been listening to uh, Brownie quite candidly talk about watching her at training and the the kick she was putting in at training. So, um, yeah. Anyway, mate, it's uh, yeah, big game for them. And uh, you mentioned before. The Harold Matthews have a bye this week, so that's come at a good time, as we discussed with uh, Brownie. You'd like to hope so, that it doesn't arrest their momentum but allows them to heal up and come out to make that big charge to the finals. But because they're on the bye, that means that the SG ball is the second game on Saturday. They kick off at 11.30am, also hosting the Cronulla Sharks. Do have a couple of changes here at fullback. It's the uh, sort of outstanding, I suppose, surprise packet. And Brownie mentioned this too in his uh, chat with us, but... Upper Tweedle, he's been so good at fullback and been a real revelation there. No Cody Perry this week, 60s. The try-scoring phenom on that left edge. I don't know if it's injury or suspension. We don't know on these grades because you don't get those official reports. He's been replaced by Kanan Hardiman. Muhammad Alamadeen's on the other flank. In the centres, Pat Spence continues to deputise the injured Richard Panasini. 
He's done a really solid job out there. And Levante Vivella is on the other side. Ethan Sanders, Josh Lynn in the halves, in the front row, Sam Torvaiti and Lance Forlima, who gets the call back into the starting team. They will be bookending Matty Alpha at dummy half. In the back row, Don Bastratus and Will Lewis from the edges, Saxon Pryke at lock forward. So if Lance, Saxon and Sam all starting, that's probably our strongest starting configuration, 60s. But it probably will leave the bench a little bit lighter on, given what Lance was doing on the interchange. But speaking of the bench, uh, Dom's brother, Raf, leads it off in the number 14, joined by Seb Piacarlo, who's been out for a couple of weeks with what I assume was injury or maybe suspension, but good to have Seb back in the team. LeBron Tuala and Kobe Herford getting his first, uh, not start, but game of the season after being the reserve player last week. Sam Squire drops back to the reserve 18th man jersey this week. As I said, they're taking on the Sharks. Very similar seedings to what's happening in the Tasha Gale here, 60s. It was 5v8. Was it 5v8 in the Tasha Gale? Was it? Yes. Yeah. And it's 4v7 here with the Eels in the uh, fourth slot after dropping their first game of the season against the Canberra Raiders last week. Uh, so in this particular case, though, Sharks just one win behind the Parramatta. As you talk about congestion, the Raiders are, remain undefeated in the SG Ball 60s after the, accounting for us last week. But then you've got the Newcastle Knights, the Western Suburbs Magpies, the Parramatta Eels, the Penrith Panthers, all on four wins, Warriors and Sharks on three wins. So that top seven is woof, just one win away, pretty much. And you really don't want to drop off there in any way because it's a top six. Yes. And as we've seen before, where the for and against is used to determine the top six, the it doesn't take much for a game in the junior reps somewhere to blow out. And we had the situation, I think, a couple of years ago where the SG ball team had enough competition points to qualify for the finals but uh, the team one of the teams at least that was above them on the table in terms of the uh, differential I think well, might have even been both the teams above them anyway they were, they were playing the Bears and I think from memory it was the Bears anyway at the end of the season there were some blowouts that were occurring against the Bears whereas I think when we, we played the Bears at the start of the season, I think we scraped home with like a one or two point win. It was it was really, really close. And all of a sudden, when you've got teams that are picking up like a 60 or 70 point differential, whereas you only picked up one, how do you make up 60, 70 points yeah. in a an eight game season? You know, you, you, I mean, you're doing well to have that as your differential across the season. It, when if a team starts to get that in one game, and there's the risk. If you're in a logjam for positions, and especially if you you want to get that advantage of being the top two teams, because if they go with the same format as last year, the top two teams have the week off in the first week of the finals and basically go straight through to the grand final qualifier. And the teams three to six play off in the first week to see who advances and play the teams in the grand final qualifiers. So those top two spots are really the sweet spot yeah. that you want to be in. And uh, because you're, you're one win away from being in the decider, uh, you can't afford to drop off. We saw the Eels get hammered last week. 42 to 18, that's a 24-point loss on the differential. And... 
with it being so tight, you just don't know. Is how much uh, they're going to come uh, back and bite you? Yeah, yeah, absolutely. So we saw the eels drop from what second to fourth with with that particular result. So, uh, and we just want them. They just need to get back on the horse to be able to get back to that that momentum that they had because. Isn't it amazing how you can go on a four-game winning streak like they did at the start of the season, then one loss? <laughs> yeah, and the, and how much does the landscape of the finals chase change? Exactly. Yeah, the, the junior reps, we always mention it, that margin for error is minuscule, especially if you're gunning for a top-two finish in that ticket to the grand final qualifier. Yeah, absolutely. So big game for them. We spoke with Nathan Brown about the contributions of some key players in that team and really the need for the SG ball to play it, to put together two good halves and, um, and just um, Cody's uh, just had word. Cody has an injury. So that that makes sense. Yeah. He could, he could be out for multiple weeks. So we'll wait to see what happens there. He's been a a clinical finisher for the parameters down that left edge and has a wonderful little combination going on for Matty Arthur. So, yeah, that's a, a big loss for the Parramatta Eels. And I'm sure that Kane and Hardiman will come in and do a job. Uh, but that's more a reflection of how well Cody Parry's played more than anything else. And rounding out that mammoth four-game block of games out at Cabra is the Jersey flag. Kicking off at 1 o'clock p.m., obviously near Era Stadium. He was hosting the Cronulla Sharks. Sharks enter this game after one round on top of the table 60s. Eels down the well wrong side of the top eight. But they got a chance to rectify that and make the record stand at one all or one on one. At fullback, we have Arfamela Stephen on the wings, Lene Federica and Matthew Komalafi, who drops back to the jersey flag with reinforcements coming in the New South Wales Cup. Ned Hicks and Terrell Williams are in the centres, Mac Porfisi and Riley Lack in the halves. In the front row, you've got Noah Reed and the big hyphen, Jonte Jr., Bevan Mesa, Nicholas Lanars, dummy half. Captain the team on the edges, Jock Brazel. Max Tupo on the other flank with Brock Parker lock forward. And the interchange, Jacob Davis, Lachlan Mears-Crab, Nick Al-Raffor and Tyson Chase. Another new name there in the team in Tyson. Bo Newlands is the 18th player or reserve. And yeah, they're taking on a team in the Cronulla Sharks. We know are always going to play as tough, but a chance to get their campaign on track out at New Era. Mate, the game last week was one of the uh, more frustrating games that I've had to cover for TCT. And We've had some frustrating games that we've watched <laughs> in the Jersey flag over the years. But this was really a match that they should have won. And the the penalty count, the error count was astronomical. I don't know what the final figure was. So when I say it was it was astronomical, it just seemed to be that the it well, the game certainly finished with a flood of penalties against the Eels. And I mentioned in the column about the fact that we Cop the first penalty that I've seen for the new scrum rule interpretation, where if you hold the ball in the scrum, you're penalised. If you're the if you're the the team feeding the scrum, or rather the team winning the scrum, you can't hold the ball. You can't trap it. We trapped it. I I watched it live. I thought, don't tell me that's a penalty for the holding the ball in the scrum. And sure it was enough. only moment. It was only momentary. But when I watched the replay, it, it, it was a definite action of of the De- deliberate the case of stalling it. Yeah, yeah, the player in the lock position trapping the ball before picking it up. And as I said, it was momentary. It was foot on the ball, bend down, pick it up, 
and pass it to the um, to the half who was wrapping around the scrum. So uh, they just they found ways to turn over possession. I, I, mind you, the Raiders were were guilty of of probably matching them for errors through most of the match, but it just we finished with a flurry of mistakes of high tackles of dropped ball. Um, yeah, it, it just ended up a, a game that got away from us when it really looked like it was in the Eels' control. And um, and, and I'll give you an, another example of it. Um, you mentioned Jock Brazel there, the captain of the team. There was a point there where he made a tackle where it would have been inspirational for his team. He literally, like, just cut the Canberra player in half with a brutal tackle. And the very next play, we gave away a penalty. Yeah. And and you just think, you know, like, that's the sort of stuff where if you're the coach of the team, it, it must drive you crazy to see those sorts of things happen when um, there's moments of, of having momentum or impetus in some way. So I'd like to think this week that the team will use that hit out as I'd like to think the building blocks for a better performance this week, because again, if they cut out the errors and cut out the ill discipline with the high shots, then they're going to go into the match with a much better chance of winning it. And it's, I mean, that goes without saying, doesn't it? You know, like minimise your errors, complete your sets, and you, you're a better chance of competing in the game. And they went from just competing to really being at, on the verge of winning. And yeah, they, they just shot themselves in the foot, really. So um, what I'm looking forward to this week is we've got Matt Komalafi, who's dropped back from New South Wales Cup to the Jersey flag. And that, again, gives an indication of the how young Matty is. Um, and, as you know, he's had a number of pre-seasons with the NRL team. Had quite a good pre-season this year. Um, but he's dropped back. You've, you've got Jonte, who's also part of the Eels' full-time squad there. And he's, um, again, an indication of age that he's still um, Jersey flag eligible. Um, Jock Brazel, who is on the uh, the ascent within the club, he'll probably be doing a full uh, full time squad next year. But he also did the NRL preseason, and he's coming back from injury last week. Until he got taken off for a HIA, he was having a very strong game. So, uh, and and look, a shout out to Brock Parker. I thought he was one of the best on field last week. I thought he was very, very strong in the lock position. Mm-hmm. So, um, Brock's been yeah. a, he's been a really honest worker for the Eels across the the SG ball and into the flag. Just rock solid week in and week out. So no surprise the year he had a good game. Yeah. So, um, and and also good to see that because uh, late in the game we last week we lost. Both Jock and uh, also Taroa Williams, they they got taken off when it, I think there was about five minutes to go, maybe a bit longer. 
and um, yeah, it was probably about 10 minutes to go. And that wasn't uh, a good time in the match. It was at a crucial time in the match where we lost both of them. And I, and from memory, I think the Raiders scored almost immediately from that because there was a real disruption to the Eels' defence. And uh, I'm pretty sure it was the same set where both players left the field that uh, the Raiders put on a shift and uh, the defence looked a bit at sea, a bit disorganised, and they were able to score, um, I think, what turned out to be the winning match-winning try. So, um, yeah, good to see them both named this week. Mm-hmm. That means we move on to the New South Wales Cup 60s in the penultimate preview. This one is going to be the curtain raiser to the NRL on Friday, which means it's going to be damn hard to get to if you're working a 9-5, to 3.30pm kickoff out at Combank Stadium. And what's going to be a fairly warm day tomorrow, although I think there's a bit of cloud coverage and maybe high 20s rather than the sort of mid-30s plus that we've had earlier this week, which is, I suppose, small solace when you're out there on the football field, but it, it is something. Uh, well, Eels. you and I will be looking for the shade. Oh, yeah. We're, we're usually sitting on the side opposite the players run out, which is the side that gets absolutely sunblasted at that time of day. So definitely going to be uh, migrating across the other side of the stadium uh, for That's this right. particular so contest. We'll, we'll, we'll position ourselves around the members bar area, yep. which is which is uh, over on the western side of the field. Uh, people that aren't aware that it exists. So there's a there's a, an area where Eels fans can congregate. Um, they've, they've got, obviously, the, the bar nearby, but it's a, a, a space that's set aside for Eels members just to mix and, and what have you. So when I say members, it's, it's not like an elite area that's open for all Eels ticket holders, season ticket holders uh, or members, Eels Football Club members. So uh, we'll be heading over that side uh, at that time of the day, watching from a bit of shade. And, um, yeah, it's but the players, I I don't know how much shadow is going to be across the ground (laughs) at that time. Not not a generous amount, I don't think. Yeah. Uh, Yeah. But, yeah, I... Sorry, I tipped it earlier, but reinforcements of the back line this week for Nathan Kalis' team. But captain of the team at fullback is Jordan Rankin. Isaac Lumi Lumi, he drops back to the wing after making his club debut in the NRL for the Parramatta Reels. He'll be running opposite flank to Hayes Dunster, who was a late, uh, I suppose, false start in the Cup last week. He was replaced by uh, Nick Mitnick, I think it was, uh, as Hayes took a little bit longer to get back to playing football than perhaps hoped, but he's back this week, knock on wood. And speaking of back this week, Bailey Simonson, he was named in a role last week but didn't get the go. He'll start in the centres in reserve grade where Zach Sini will be on the other side of the field to him. In the halves, Brennan Hands continues the work of Jake Arthur. Front row, Offie Ogden, Kai Rodwell and Jaden Yates. Back row, Tony Mattielli, Luca Moridi and Dan Keir. On the bench, Mitch Rain, Tavita Talmapenu, Nico Apelu and Sam Loizu. So just changes in the centres slash wing there, 60s, with the reinforcements coming to both NRL and New South Wales Cup. They're taking on a team in the Newtown Jets, which is realistically the Cronulla Sharks, but badged differently because of Newtown's presence in the Cup. Uh, that is always strong in this grade. It's got a couple of real danger players. Young Kyle Iro was uh, outstanding last year. He torched us alongside the uh, now Newcastle uh, fullback. Uh, gosh. Lockie Miller. Lockie Miller. Those two combined to dust us at Henson Park last year. Uh, but yeah, Iro was a star in the preseason or the NRL preseason trials. So he's definitely won the watch. But just looking at that team quickly, uh, there's a couple other players that will probably jump out at me. Billy Magulius. Uh, you've got Jacob Gargan. 
uh, I believe he was named originally, but now is uh, missing. But Josh Mansour was on one flank. Uh, Jaden Beryl, Charvel Tassapali, that's one of our boys from the past 60s. Hopefully he has a good game, but not too good. Uh, got plenty of time for Charbel. was a wonderful young man when he was an eel. But yeah, they've, they've always been a consistent force in this grade. And certainly when it comes to the eels, they've had some uh, big games. Yeah, it's... They, just like we were talking earlier about the roosters in the Tasha Gale Cup being regulars in the final series and, and regulars up near the top of the table, so to the Newtown Jets. It's interesting because, as you said, they, they are essentially the Sharks reserve grade team, but they retain, retain a certain something about the Newtown Jets. And a lot of their players really embrace wearing the Jets jersey. So it's an interesting dynamic. And no matter which club that the Jets have associated themselves with, and they've been a feeder club for the Roosters as well. The Storm. The Storm, yep. So no matter who they've associated themselves with, they retain that Jets identity in the passion that the players seem to have playing in the jersey. And that probably has a bit to do with the supporters that get out there that are essentially Jets supporters, not necessarily Sharks supporters or or Roosters supporters or Storm supporters. They just get out there and support the Jets. And they have that big day every year, which is the, the footy, food and beer day where they they attract damn near a full house at Henson Park. And for people who haven't been to Henson Park, that's a ground that holds about thirty to 35,000 with a massive hill that round, runs around the majority of the ground. Um, so they do get a fair share of support. It's This, of course, is at Parramatta's home ground. They're not going to get that level of support, but the players still have that little extra passion for pulling on the Jets jersey. As far as Parramatta's concerned, again, just like the jersey flag, I covered that match last week out at Kellyville Park. Another case of throwing the game away. Mm, yep. Just errors, errors off the kickoff set. Just mistakes galore. Um, and I don't know how indicative this, this was, but I think I did see some stats somewhere where Makahesi, Makatoa, I think he might have topped the run metres. But second on the run metres, I think, was Jake Arthur, who who ran somewhere around between 150 and 200 run metres, if I'm not mistaken. And I think to myself, oh, where's... I don't know that a halfback, particularly someone who's not a noted running halfback should be sitting that high in the run meters. Like why, why are there not others that are up there? So um, I think maybe they're going to be looking for a bit more from the middles there. Um, Yeah. And it's interesting also to have um, both Hayes and uh, Lumi Lumi back in there, because I think their run meters might just, be up there as well with the kick returns and jumping in at dummy half. And it was a real feature of Hayes' game prior to that injury in the trials last year. So hopefully he can get back to being a real, you know, building block player at the start of sets. 
Yeah, absolutely. Um, shout out last week for Jaden Yates. I thought he was pretty much best player on field for the team. Very busy at dummy half, but just, you know, he, he's just such a workman. With a, His fitness levels are, are superb, but he was he was asking a lot of questions out of dummy half. I just thought he had a really, really strong game. Uh, Tony Mattaielli, I liked his uh, charges on the edge. Uh, at least once he had the arm free for looking for the offload, no one running beside him. I, Kai Rodwell really had, a, I thought, a solid game as well. So in the middle, I, I, I thought he was good. Uh, the other edge forward, Luca Moretti, wasn't wasn't uh, was probably one of the better performers as well. So well, look at the numbers here. There, there was a decent foundation here from the Eels. They had actually quite a few players in triple figures for the run meters, uh, but it looks like it was just a case of shooting themselves in the foot at the worst possible times. Yeah. So you've got those run meters in front of you at the moment. Yeah. So uh, good games from in terms of the backs. Mahinik came in and did a solid job, just under 150. Uh, you had Komalafi going just over 100. Uh, but Jake Arthur up 173. Ogden, 112. Uh, Rodwell, 167. Mateoli, 101. Murdy, 127. Uh, and then, I suppose the surprise here, Samuel Oizu got 132 metres off the bench. So, big, big Yeah, no, he, he actually started the game. Ah, there you go. Samuel, yeah, so he started in the centre. So, when you, when we had those uh, the players drop out last week, it meant that because uh, I think Isaac Lumi Lumi was named in the centres. Yes, correct. Last yeah, week was, yeah. and was called when he was called up to NRL. That meant that Samuel started the game. Samuel Samuel actually had a very solid game. You mentioned not just his run meters there, but I thought defensively he was very strong as well. It was probably one of the um, one of the I was going to say toughest, but it was you know. I think the word probably is physical. One of the most physical games I've seen from him. Mm-hmm. So you've got those run meters there. And those run meters, that wasn't like being taken from a break or anything like that. That was getting in there and and doing those sort of what I you know call those dirty yeah. yards, the dirty meters that are run. So he did really well there. And as I said, strongly strong in defense also. Um, but... I keep coming back to it. It's I don't know that Jake should have been making those 170 plus running meters. Um, I I think was he doing the work of someone else? I, I don't know. It's it, it just feels I don't know. There's something about that that feels not quite right. As I said, when he's not renowned as a running halfback, that he ended up making that many. And I mean, full credit to. Jake for that because yeah, putting your hand up and, and taking the workload obviously is not a bad thing, but from a, a team balance thing or perspective, rather, you don't want your halfback being that involved when it comes to running, unless he's absolutely carving up. I suppose. Yeah. Well, I think from from memory for from the game, there were instances where he was going to the line and he just didn't have someone running the line that he wanted to. Um, to pass to, so he ended up taking mm-hmm. the tackle himself. So I think there was a few instances of that. So, so definitely a yeah, few kinks I'm, to iron out here for the team. Foundationally, they've got enough talent in this you know roster, even with some reinforcements coming, to be a good squad. Just got to get everything organised. That's it, uh, absolutely. So 
Um, I'd like to think they're going to have a bit of a bounce back this week. But then again, you are talking about the first game of the season for Bailey Simonson, Hayes Dunster. So there could be a bit of rust that's involved with that there. But as far as the forwards are concerned, you know, I'm just... I'm just going to be looking for them to win the middle a bit better than what happened uh, last week. So the game should have been won last week. It wasn't. The mistakes were there. And, uh, yeah, they've got to very quickly bounce back. Speaking of bouncing back, in the NRL, both the Cronulla Sharks and the Parramatta Eels looking to bounce back from round one losses. Parramatta hosting the Cronulla Sharks in their second home game of the season. This one kicking off at 6 o'clock p.m., on Friday the 10th of March, Combank Stadium, obviously the main event to the curtain raiser that is the New South Wales Cup. Looking at that Sharks team quickly, 60s. No Nico Hines, but it's still a very good squad at fullback. The uh, very, very talented William Kennedy. A dynamic backline is sort of spearheaded by its two wingers, Sione Katoa and Ronaldo Molotalo, and two powerhouse centres in Jesse Rami and, and Sia Sifatalakai. The ageless Matty Moylan. Well, he'll partner Braden Trindle in the halves. Trindle was pretty good last week against South Sydney, by the way. Uh, pretty fair replacement to have to Nico Hines. In the front row, Toby Rudolph, Braden Hamuele, they're the props. Blake Braley, the dummy half. Back row, Britton Nakora, Teague Wilton, and Dale Finucane. On the interchange, Cameron McInnes, Royce Hunt, Oregon Kalfusi, Connor Tracy, the reserves, Thomas Hazelton, Mawini Harodi, Max Bradbury, Jaden Barrell, and Nawai Puru. So no way Graham, he's been rubbed out for a month for what was a pretty reckless tackle. I know you tried to argue it was careless, but that was a pretty reckless tackle. And then the other player that's out, uh, I believe, was on the... Uh, Williams, Jack Williams. So the two pretty significant outs, but when you've got players of the calibre of Royce Hunt and Connor Tracy coming in, you've got a pretty solid uh, set of backups there. Yeah, it's fair to say that they've got quite decent depth at the Sharks. As you mentioned, when you lose a half uh, like Nico Hines and then you can bring in Braden Trindle, you're in a good place. And as far as I'm concerned, I think Trindle poses a different threat to Nico Hines. Like he's he's got genuine threats on his own. They play a different game. Nico Hines, he's a bigger body and he's got a bit of deceptive acceleration. He likes to drift across field and look to link up with players. And then if he doesn't, uh, he he might explore as he drifts the possibility of taking that run himself. Now, I think there is the potential there that the Sharks can be shut down when you, when you, get him on those drifts as he as he goes across the field. Like if you take away that option of him having his own time to do that, then you go a long way towards shutting down the Sharks' attack. Trindle's a little bit different. He just seems to bob up here and there and he's a, he's a good backup player. He, he doesn't mind. He, he's got that really quick acceleration off the mark. He's... Yeah, it's a different form of threat that he poses, but he poses a threat in his own right. And that's a real advantage for the Sharks to be able to bring in someone like him in such a key position at halfback. So he's probably one of the better halves running around in the New South Wales Cup. Mm -hmm. And for the Parramatta Eels, just the one change, we'll get to that very quickly. Uh, But starting fullback captain or co-captain Quinton Gufferson, 
In the number two, it's Mike Acevo. And in the five, returning to make his 2023 debut, it's Sean Russell serving that one-game suspension from the New South Wales Cup final series last year. That's the lone change to the team. But in the centres, you've got Will Penasini and Wanga Blake. Obviously, Dylan Brown and Mitchell Moses in the halves. Reagan Campbell-Gillard, Junior Barlow and Josh Hodgson in the front row. Bryce Cartwright and Matt Dury holding down the edges, left and right respectively. Jermaine Hopgood at lock forward. On the bench, Jeremiah Masia, Jack Murchie, Wittemu Gregg, Makahesi Makatoa, the reserves, Jake Arthur, Bailey Simonson, Ofahiki Ogden, Kai Rodwell and Hayes Dunster. No surprises there, 60s. You're never going to be making wholesale changes after a golden try or golden point try loss to the Melbourne Storm of all teams. Uh, Eels do the sensible thing, bring in the, I suppose, player that was expected to be there in round one until he figured there was a suspension in in uh, his, uh, sort of over his head rather, in Sean Russell. Uh, you had him tipped to either start at centre or wing pending fitness of other players. And lo and behold, in week two or round two, he's back into the starting roster. Yeah, it was something that was very quiet, wasn't it? His suspension. Yeah, uh, it was one of those ones that... Even if, he, even if he'd had one, you would have figured it was served through the NRL final series. But I guess, as we discussed, the uh, the precedent set for the Penrith Panthers in uh, Taylor May's suspension against us, actually, being uh, postponed to the regular season of the 2023 season, was also served to the Parramatta Eels when it came to... I can only assume that's what it was when it came to Sean Russell. Well, I think his playing commitments finished after that particular game, didn't they? He was NRL eligible, though, wasn't he? So he, that, he was, but I guess they would have said, "Look, he's not likely to be selected." Like that would have been the NRL's response to Parramatta. That um, who, even, even though we yeah, had that, who knows when it comes to the politics of suspensions and whatnot in the NRL? Uh, it sure, feels like there <laughs> there are different tiers uh, depending on which club you represent. Well, look, technically, I suppose when we lost uh, Tom Opachik that the Eels could have said, oh, look, we want to bring in um, Sean Russell and rolled the dice there and have them say, no, he's suspended, and then go, oh. I mean, they're not. They're probably not looking ahead to round one 2023 in that, in that spot. But when you think in hindsight, they could have probably gone, well, we'd like to... We'd yeah. like to select Sean Russell, and then they go, no, he's got a ones-game suspension. Oh, okay, so he's suspended right now. Right, okay, that's his game then. Um, and and who knows, it probably would have played out that way. But that, as again, uh, as I said before, that's in hindsight. They're probably not thinking round one, 2023. So he has that game suspension that was we knew nothing about. Uh, we have seen the footage uh, with... We had one of our readers did post up the link to the footage on uh, on TCT last week, so I you can understand the suspension. It was a hip drop. Oh yeah, no, hurt. certainly not contesting that. Yeah, uh, when when we're talking about his availability, there is more just the mechanics of it where he should have served it in the final series. There is no doubt he deserved the suspension. Absolutely. Now, Sean is someone who is continuing to get bigger and stronger. And I think, uh, I, look, I'm not going to sh- be sure how it's going to look on television, but having seen Sean at training and, and from uh, close up, he is a relatively um, strong build for a winger now. And I think that they're, 
Uh, whereas when he first when he made his first grade debut, I think it's fair to say he was pretty lightweight in in terms of um, his build. But yeah, he's he's quite a strong build now. Tall, athletic. Um, so I don't think in terms of and and he's the sort of player that play that doesn't mind playing quite physical in his football. He'll take those hit hard hit ups. He won't shirk from putting his body on the line in defence. So I'm looking forward to his performance because let's face it, he's he hasn't let the Eels down when he's when he's played first grade. And that includes in the trials. So um yeah, good inclusion for us, I think. I agreed. I have no issues with that. Very actually very keen to see him in action. And hopefully he can be a player that can shore up. We we talked about those building block sort of runs, the starts of sets. Um, hopefully, you know, we've got a gun forward pack, no doubt, but putting them in a position where they can succeed more with our backs perhaps contributing a bit stronger to the start of those, uh, you know, ugly or dirty sets, as you talk about them, 60s, will be very important. And I think that Russell can be a big plus in that column, but it all starts this week for him, and he's probably going to take a couple of games, get back up to full speed. That's how it goes in the NRL, especially if you've had a, a long layoff from first grade. But he gets a chance to partner Will Penasini down the right edge, and that's a, the Rouse Hill connection right there, isn't it? It is, and they trained alongside each other during the preseason, which had me thinking, well, he's in he's in line for round one selection. And you could see that long-term understanding as well between the two. It looked like a very natural pairing out on the right wing. So, um, yeah, be interesting to see how quickly it comes to hand in the matches whether Sean's going to need any sort of settling in period or or whether he's ready to go because of the time that he was able to get on the field during the trials. Mm-hmm. Now the Cronulla Sharks, they're a very well balanced roster we mentioned no Nico Hines and how Braden Trindle is a very handy replacement but you look at that back line, uh, it's dynamic the forward pack is rock solid you got to try and limit the opportunities you give to them because if you give that back line half a chance, more often than not, they're going to capitalise. Well, you've got the power in Ramian and Talakai and then you've just got that sheer pace of the back three, haven't you? That mm-hmm. really, if, if they get themselves into a situation where they've got uh, the eels done for numbers... Yeah, Will Kennedy's a scary man on that sweeper. He strips you for numbers so quickly. Yeah, and... That's probably the greatest concern because we know that Micah hasn't got the quickest turning circle if he's got to turn and chase or slide really quickly. So we don't want the likes of um, Katoa or Mulatalo getting outside either either of our wingers. And you can't bank on Molotalo making a meal of a try like you did against the South Sydney Rabbitohs uh, no. twice in a row. So they're going to capitalise on those opportunities. And yeah, they're, they're a good team. They're going to get their shots. We played them in the corresponding fixture last year and it was a real tight one at the relaunch of Shark Park uh, out their way. Uh, and the Eels sort of getting pipped on the uh, final minutes following, a, I think it was an error from Ray Stone who went on to redeem himself very quickly the week after of the heroics against the Melbourne Storm. Uh, but, yeah, and this is a game we saw against Melbourne week one this year. Parramatta are going to, have to be more clinical on their end. They created plenty of opportunities against the Storm and could have easily have scored three or four tries by my count, 60s, between some of the nice attacking structures they had down the left edge that didn't quite reap the fruit 
including that forward pass from Dill to Micah. Uh, and then you had some other opportunities later in the game where we just got a little bit too trigger happy. They've got to find that balance. You've got to be clinical finishing opportunities when they come to you, but also not too trigger happy firing shots too early in sets where you can grind towards a better outcome later on. Well, last year we just didn't lose back-to-back weeks, did we? No, and that was something we really highlighted was a feature of our game. Yes, there were bad losses, but the Eels had a, a level of consistency in that regard mentally and both on the field where they managed to bounce back from losses every time. Yeah, the I guess the concern really is that um, it's such a tough run this, this start of the year. Parramatta hadn't lost a first round since... 2019 and of course that had set up the Eels being in the top eight every at the end of every round since round one in 2019 now that came to an end with the loss that shouldn't have happened last week but it did happen so where has the Eels found a way to win under tough circumstances in the qualifying final against the Cowboys last year and that of course that was a great match to be able to find a, a different way to win we found a way to lose in the first round this year, we need to be able to find that bounce back factor. But I think more than anything, this is a a game where I think they're going to need to prove to supporters that there is development from last year in, I, I guess in, in, if not consistency, then that, ability to match the top teams and it's uh, it is a danger game like it is a genuine danger game oh yeah because the sharks did so well last year and their their consistency throughout the season was top notch especially their defense and they did not defend anywhere near as well last week they opened up too easily against the the rabbitos you just you sense that they're going to be tighter this week, even in being down a few players, that, that they are really going to lift defensively. I don't think it's going to be a high-scoring game, mate. I really don't. I, I no, think... I, I've got both teams scoring 20 or less in this game. Yeah, yeah. So if one or the other does get a bit away in terms of points, um. I don't think the other team will have it in them to to catch up. I just think total match points is going to be low. I think it's going to be a tight result. But, yeah, overall, I think total match points are going to be low. You couldn't knock Parramatta's defence last week against the Storm to keep the Storm to 12 points across 80 minutes. You do that against any team, let alone the Storm, but you do that against any team in any premiership You're match. You're winning most games. Yeah. Yeah, like 12 points over 80 minutes, yet you are going to win. And it's an exceptional result. Really, like we were just so disappointed in the result last week and the fact that we lost a game we shouldn't have lost. But when you sit back and you go and you analyse the opponent, the scoreline, those sorts of things, you go, well, you know what? Defence did a really good job. So I think Paris' defence will be just as good this week. I'm expecting the Sharks' defence to be better. A tight game. Mate, forced to give our tips now, I would go uh, for the Eels to win 18-14. to 14. I had the Blonde goal prevailing 20-18, to 18, so a very a tight shootout there. 
I had big ranking Campbell Gillard for first try score. I don't know how you feel about the FTS market this week. Uh, first try scorer for the Eels. I'm going to go with uh, Wonga Blake. Yeah, back one's always a good shout. I think Sean Ross will be a nice story too, banking a try down that right edge. But yeah, I've gone for the big man. Always good to see a big man season try. Best on field. Um, I'm going to continue the theme with uh, the forwards. And I think Jermaine Hopgood will be my best on field in this game. You know, that that is a really smart and solid selection there. I'm going to go outside of being smart. (laughs) (laughs) Um, I'm going to tip Mitch Moses to be best on field in a bounce back performance. I like that. I think Mitch will be very keen to rectify some of the mistakes made by both him and Dill last week and, uh, you know, get the Eels back on track of a good win at Combank. Yeah, that puts the uh, wrappers up on another preview and news podcast episode. As always, thanks for stopping by and giving us a listen. Do remember that uh, barring technical difficulties or pending technical difficulties, there will be the companion live stream to our post-game show live at Jack's Bar and Grill tomorrow night. It should be kicking off around about 8 o'clock, 60, just depending on what time we can get everyone available in terms of our guests and, and everyone else at the uh, bar. But yeah, until then, stay safe, guys. Hope we get a good win against the Sharks. We'll catch you on the next episode. Go you wheels.